This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by the Folding Art Horse, makers of professional-grade drawing horses. The patented Folding Art Horse uniquely folds flat, allowing for greater storage and portability. If you or your university don't have much storage space, the Folding Art Horse is for you. They're great for travel, too. Check out the Folding Art Horse at thefoldingarthorse.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Hey there, this is Valerie Powell. Welcome to Positive Space. Today, joining us from very far away via Skype audio, we have Jesse Payne, who is the Assistant Professor of Art Foundations at Virginia Commonwealth University Arts Qatar. Uh, welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to, to, to join you today. Yeah, today, tonight, what, whatever time zone we're, we're in, um, it's, it's definitely... Um, been a long time coming. I know we've talked about doing this for a while, so I'm glad that it worked out with our schedules. Definitely. Yeah, so I thought it'd be good for you to give us general introduction to um, who you are as an artist and as an educator. Great, yeah. As an artist, I've been exploring the uh, drawing and painting for many years now and, and some digital media as well, well um, and mainly teach drawing. I came from 2006 to 2010. And uh, I've been here in, at VCU uh, Qatar since 2010. And as an educator, primarily teaching drawing and, and some painting, I pri- primarily focus on the innovative ways to deliver that curriculum and uh, new approaches to teaching. And more recently, I've placed more of a focus of my research on teaching as research. So we can talk a little bit about that uh, later on if we get into it. But primarily, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Great. And, and so being in Qatar, I'm curious what foundations, what that curriculum, what that setup looks like. That, that's a good question. Being on the other side of the world um, and being at a, at a branch campus of such a renowned and, and well-respected university like VCU, we, we really strive to provide the same level of uh, education as they would on the home campus. And therefore, a lot of our curriculum is mirrored to that of Richmond. Um, so the way it currently operates is that we have a drawing studio, a surface studio, which is 2D design, space studio, and a time studio, which is 4D arts. And, and it's pretty traditional in, in, in its setup, and it's still uh, the same as it, as it was, I think, probably all the way back to 2006 or eight. Okay, so you've got drawing, surface space, and time studio. So then do the students take all of that within the first year? Yeah. So what happens is we usually have around, say, 80 incoming students. And half those students would would take uh, two of the studios and the other half would take the other two studios. And Mm -hmm. so in the recent years, drawing and time have been uh, set up together. So the same students take drawing and time together. There's a lot of possibilities of collaboration that could happen in, in those two studios and surface and space are teamed up together. And the, and the main thinking behind that, that that we've had is that 
that they have a kind of a studio course with with software and computer uh, based technology or photography, and then a studio that might be more hands on, you know, wh whether it be drawing or whether it be collage or whether it be making uh, three dimensional objects. So we kind of divide it up in that way primarily for those reasons. Sure. And then what are your students like? Um, I mean, because I would imagine most of our listeners probably would have no idea, you know, what it's like yeah. to teach in the Middle East. Yeah. So this would be an excellent topic to do another podcast on. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, in, in short, the students are amazing. I had no idea what I was getting into when I came over here. Um, I had a lot of misconceptions, a lot of assumptions about moving to the Middle East a lot of stereotypes and beliefs built into my own, you know, person about, the, about this region, about the kinds of students that they must be, right, without ever meeting mm. them. And they were all proven wrong. Um, every single one of my beliefs and every single one of my misconceptions were absolutely false. And I think it's been excellent being, having the opportunity to work here and now, and now being here for, for eight years the students, uh, I don't know. They're funny. They're, 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 they're just amazing. I don't know how else to say it. They're, they're a lot, they're a lot of fun to be around. They have a great sense of humor. They're hardworking. They're interested. I think that trait is the most interesting one because they, they don't have the art and design background or history that say students in the States would. If you're going to ask a class of 20 students to raise their hand, if, you, if they know who Willem de Kooning is or uh, Cy Twombly or, or, or any other kind of 50s uh, expressionist painter, they don't have any clue who those people are. And it's interesting because they don't that, that art history and that kind of development as they came up through K through 12 isn't in their system. But they come, they come with a lot of other curiosities about art and about what's possible and, and, and how to express themselves, which make the classroom way more interesting. Since they don't really have any of that, that history, then what we found that was the most interesting way to approach our curriculum was to really learn from them. So we, we place them as the, the art educators or the cultural insiders, rather, as I think the way it was coined by uh, my director. Uh, they're the cultural insiders, and we're the art professionals. And so uh, we, we sort of learn from them and then develop projects around their interests. And I think that that has proven to be a really successful way of teaching in, a, in such a diverse culture like this one. And so we think that... Uh, this relationship between them as cultural insiders and us as art professional, it, it creates a lot of intellectually challenging opportunities and a lot of interesting dialogue about the culture here and the values that, that they were sort of raised on. And to answer your cultural uh, question, we have, we had cultural training when we came, you know, we know how to dress and our etiquette, you know, and how to behave and to shake hands uh, with the right hand to accept someone's drink if they're handing you food or a drink with your right hand and uh, you know to be appropriate when when you're when you're out in public in terms of, of your attire not wearing short shorts acting like you're going to church almost wear anything inappropriate to church and sort of how it works here as well you just and I, and I think it's it's more of a of a courteous type of of thing than anything else 
it's great because you go to the mall here and everyone looks like they look good. I mean, they, they, they went out and they actually presented themselves to be in the mall or in the, in the grocery store, which is not like America. And it reminds me like the, of, the, of the 20s and 30s and 40s when, you know, I remember my grandma, if she was just going to the grocery store to get bread, she had to put on makeup and, you know, get a nice outfit and she could see someone. <laughs> mm. Right, right. Of course, of course. Well, and and so, what made you want to teach there? I mean, w- w- was that something you had always wanted to do in terms of teaching internationally, or were you because you were at SCAD previously? And so, you know, I- I'm just sort of curious how this came up for you and sort of your teaching history. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I had no intention in coming here. I was happy at Savannah College of Art and Design. I, I loved everyone I worked with. Um, I had a great relationship with uh, my director and my departmental assistant. Really amazing people and really wonderful experience. And uh, uh, But uh, one day I got an email uh, from uh, a mentor of mine, Mary Stewart. I, I think everybody mm. who's listening to this knows who Mary Stewart is. Exactly. Uh, and she, uh, you know, as I, I went to grad school at Northern Illinois University, where she was teaching at at the time, and and so she kind of uh, trained me, I guess, if you will, to you know, to be the educator that I that I was at the time. And anyway, the opportunity came up, up, and I was happy. We just bought a house actually about eight months before, and just bought a new car, and we just had our second child. No intention on coming, but she sent me an email. And said I should apply for it and shoot for the stars. And mm. at first, I had no idea what it was. I saw VCU and then Katar uh, or Guitar or something. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I thought it was a misspelling in the job announcement. I had no idea what it was. Um, and I kind of dropped it for a little bit, and and then came back to it a, a week a week later or so, and and looked up the position and saw that it was VCU. The, at, at a satellite campus, I knew VCU's reputation. I knew the high-quality uh, 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 education they delivered in Richmond. And I thought it was interesting that they had a, a satellite campus and that they had this uh, other op- opportunity to teach internationally. And for me, it was great as, as a career move because it was kind of a, a step up in terms of, of, of experience internationally, but also a move from kind of a really top-notch private school like SCAD, to a, a very top-notch public university uh, like VCU. And uh, after, long story short, I got the job, as you know, and, and I've been here for, for quite some time. The job is great. Again, the people, the people here are really amazing because what, what I'm surrounded by here is a bunch of really, I don't know, top-notch international educators from all over the world. There are, there are quite a few Americans, but there are also uh, quite a few international faculty that are teaching here. Do you guys teach collaboratively, or is it independent in, in terms of that structure? So that's a really good question, too, uh, and one I want to talk about in terms of the curriculum. A couple years ago, we developed a sort of experimental uh, foundations program. We had an opportunity to, to run some tests and... We were, we were sort of thinking that, you know, the studios that we had, they operated in, in isolation, in silos. And this was something I was thinking a, a great deal about at the time as well, uh, because I was 
going to Fate and I was going to Think Tanks and I was going to Mecca and, you know, and all the others. And everybody's talking about collaboration and interdisciplinary studies and, and so forth and multidisciplinary uh, approaches to teaching. But I found, or at least I felt, that everybody was actually just going back to their universities and doing their thing and not really doing it. Or, or, or at the very least, they, they had a collaborative project and now they're at conference talking about it like it's a huge deal and I, I sort of <laughs> I, I kind of felt like it was fake in some way I don't I don't know not that it's good or bad I just felt like like what like I I know you're going back and you're mentoring 13 GTAs to teach the classes and you're doing your thing on the side and everybody's just doing their projects and putting student student work up in the hallway I know it's how that's working it seemed like the thing they did as a little experiment or the one time they collaborated was turned into this magnificent thing that was always that way, and I knew it couldn't be. And so what happened was is that we, we started thinking about that too. It's like we talk about this a lot within our own department. We talk about the idea of collaborating. Um, but the real reality of it is is that collaboration is a disaster if you don't like the person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's been stories around of, 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 of forced collaboration and then disaster strikes, you know, um, between either the two individuals or some other students that got involved with some other thing or the students are fighting or they did more work than me and or this professor didn't do as much as me and, you know, on and on and on. And we started thinking about this a lot and we thought that it would be really great if we didn't force the collaboration to happen, but we let it, we allowed it to happen organically. And so to do that, we kind of developed a system where the, the semesters were broken up into smaller modules. And because, you know, we were tied to the home campus still, you know, and still are. And, and so we knew that we couldn't be as radical as just changing everything, you know, getting into the transcripts or, or getting into the uh, registrar and the scheduling and changing course times and, you know, adding two or three co-teachers to the course. We knew we couldn't play with credit hours. We knew we couldn't uh, change course descriptions and learning outcomes. And we knew we couldn't do anything that we were actually wanting to do unless we went through a long trail of paperwork up to the very top. And surely it would come back down to the bottom a year later and somebody would say no. Right. It's just the way it works. It's a lot of work to, to do these things. Um, but at the time we had support. We had um, a lot of support uh, in that way. And so what we did is we worked within the current framework of what we had. We knew we had to stay in semester. We knew we had to keep the credit hours the same and we knew we had to keep the course times the same. But what we could do is play around with co-teaching. So we could list more than one professor or we could list every professor on the course as a co-teacher. So what we did is that myself teaching drawing at the time and a colleague of mine teaching surface, for example, mm -hmm. the, the courses the students were enrolled in, they were the same. They would enroll in drawing, but they would also be enrolled in surface. And so what they would do is they would take a module in my class around four four weeks and I would teach a project, and then they would go take four weeks of a surface class. But they'd still actually be in my class, but they, they left, and they went to surface. And then I got the students that were in surface back over to my class. 
I see. So they just sort of like switched off. They okay. Kept, they just kept swapping. So they're really actually myself and the other professor were never in the same room at the same time. Our students kept swapping every four weeks. And sometimes, you know, the, it'd be three and a half weeks or whatever due to a break or three. But so they would be with me for a module. They'd go to him for a module, be with me for a module, go to him for a module. And what happened was, is we think, hey, well, if they've learned these things with me so far in drawing in this first four weeks, well, then by the time he gets those students in surface in the next four weeks, he can sort of, he doesn't have to do the exact same thing he did with the first students because they've learned something that the other students have already, you know, experienced. Right. So then he'll, he'll either take the same project or another project and sort of push it a little bit further. And then those students have left me and went to surface. But then by the time I get them back four weeks later, they've already learned a lot about, you know, surface. They might have learned a lot about Adobe Illustrator. They might have learned a little bit about making GIFs. They might have learned a little bit about photography. And so now if I'm watching and what they're learning, I could develop a project very quickly that could either be the same project or a slightly different project that that builds upon what he was working on. And so technically the system stayed the same, but we broke down the walls really between the two classes and just made made it an overall experience for the students to have this forced multidisciplinary approach to learning. Do you, do you feel like that has enrich their experience? I mean, what has the feedback been from them? Because they're kind of adjusting to one professor's way of teaching or way of grading or whatever, and then they're kind of switching over to this other person, and then once they get adjusted, they switch back over. I, you know, I'm curious if, if that's something that they find challenging or if they find it, you know, really exciting. Great. Well, that was one of our initial complaints, actually, um, <laughs> from, from the students, is that they had the same two professors for four months and that one, they didn't know the students that were enrolled in the other two classes. And two, they didn't know the professors yet. Mm. So the students were actually struggling more. We found with those kind of relationships and that, and, and, and sort of accepting multiple viewpoints and accepting critiques and, and, and a number of other things because they've been isolated with their prof- little professor in their little classroom for so long. When we took that away and they were constantly moving and thinking and digesting information and finding ways to take what they've learned and apply it into another field or discipline, because there's been no time between it and no Christmas break between it, now they've, they're, 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 they're taking what they're learning and they're implementing it into other disciplines, which then is making them multidisciplinary artists and designers themselves without knowing it. It seems like such a smart approach because it really immediately kind of challenges the whole thing that they're sort of expecting, you know, which is to get really cozy and, and be with one professor. And once you sort of figure that person out, then everything's fine and you've got your little safe space. But having them move back and forth and kind of stay fresh and it just seems really exciting. It, it really was. And uh, I say it was because we went back to the semesters, <laughs> which I can get to that. <laughs> I can get to that later, but. There were, there were a couple different types of uh, um, collaboration that we developed. The, the first one was horizontal collaboration. So basically, a horizontal collaboration is when, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing and want to be doing in my own classroom. So mm-hmm. I'm not having to talk to anyone. And it doesn't matter if the person likes me because, <laughs> you know, let's face it, that's what it comes down to. I know I'm backtracking a little bit here, but 
I think you really have to have a, a nice relationship or a personal relationship in, to some extent with the person that you want to do a collaboration with in order for it to go well. But what's great about this horizontal collaboration is I do what I want to do, but I, I might, we might plan something with another professor, um, but then they take it and they do something else to it. So an example of that could be where I do a drawing in my class and then it gets handed over to another class and they either do something to it or add something on top of it or scan it and alter it digitally or add a title on top or, or whatever. And then it become my drawing that we, our students drawings that we did in our class then went on the surface class and got printed as posters for the hallway. That's a really interesting approach. Another interesting approach um, is with vertical, what we call vertical collaboration. So vertical collaboration could be, uh, I don't know, like a sequence of projects developed in different studios, okay? But the assignment keeps building upon the, the learning outcomes in the previous one. So it's, a, it's difficult to give you examples without images. But, like, for example, you do something in, that I, in one semester or last week or whenever, and you put it in the hallway, and I see it, and I think, that's really cool. I could, that reminds me of this, right? Or I could take that and do this, right? So what happens is it's, it, it kind of stems from an open-minded approach to seeing the whole picture of the way the art school is working mm -hmm. in terms of what's going up on the walls and what everybody else is doing. So you, you have this kind of approach where, that's cool. Have you seen this? You know, kind of a kind of thing. And you do something else and it keeps kind of evolving. So the projects evolve. And that that's great because, again, you don't have to necessarily work with the individual, but you could say, hey, that was cool what you did last week in your class. You know, would you mind if I sort of did something similar and this and that or that and this and then it turned into this? Right. Well, and I mean, that is such a smart contemporary approach, right? I mean, because what somebody is doing in their practice then informs something they might do later on. And these ideas aren't necessarily happening in a vacuum, that one thing informs something else that then evolves and sort of has its own life. I love these terms. And I mean, I think these are things that, that maybe some, some are doing or maybe are kind of doing or casually doing. But I think once you sort of have a name to it, it, it makes it a little bit more intentional, you know, to be like aware of it and be looking for those kinds of opportunities. Yeah. I mean, to the States to teach again, I was working in that way again with, you know, this is my class and this is my still life and this is my bowl and my apple. And then you put some charcoal drawings on the wall. I think that that now, after having this really international and interdisciplinary approach to the way I've been working for so many years now, I think that would be the death of me, burned out immediately. Speaking about my experience here, I'm actually afraid to come home. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I'm afraid to come back to America. To, to teach one day because I, I don't, I don't know what's happening so much there. Um, uh -huh. I, I've, I've interviewed and I've still kept my name out in the mix of things. And so, and by doing that, there's not, 
it's not really in my interest to have left here, but it's more so a, a way to keep my name in the mix or in the, in, in you know, kind of current and also sure. uh, to, to learn about other programs and then to stay fresh in, in, in the way I, the way I interview as well. well. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think really important to do regardless of if you're in the Middle East or you're in Texas or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think that's important to stay fresh and, and it's exciting to learn about other programs and see what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's about delivering an education that I think is interesting for the students to be able to dive into and engage within that's lively, that, that feels new, that feels innovative for them. You know, our students are on their phones all the time, you know, they're on their computers. So they, they, they want to be, so we use our phones, we use our computers in the classroom. You know, I, you know, we don't, we don't, shout at the students who are on their phone anymore when we're talking because they're probably taking notes in it or, 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 or drawing something, uh, or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're, we find ways to, to implement the technology that they want to use and want to be on, you know, years ago we thought about, you know, starting like a Facebook class page. Okay. But mm-hmm. ask your, ask your students if they're on Facebook. Yeah, they're super not. <laughs> yeah, they're super not. Their grandma is. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so we don't do that. What we try to do is we try to develop a, a kind of interactive system in and in a, in a digital system for them to engage in. And we implement this within our, in our, in our department, but also within our classroom. So the way uh, they used to present, and I'll give you a couple examples here the way they used to present their portfolios at their end of year review to the majors to see whether or not they would go on, you know, and so forth and which majors mm-hmm. they did and what. used to be a hard copy portfolio. They'd get in there and they'd start shuffling drawings around and show them their, you know, project boards and so forth. But now we have them make Tumblr pages with all their, they make a website. So last year they did Tumblr and they had to have all their studios separated. So there had to be a drawing tab, surface space and time. And when the committees could go to their website link instead of worrying about all this hard copy stuff, and they could click on each one of the categories and just kind of scroll through the projects. And then a lot of other things that are way more relevant come up, you know, in in terms of their presentation skills. Did they document the work professionally? Um, are, Are there shadows of their hand holding their cell phone? on their drawing because they were too lazy to use lighting and to use right. is, is, is there a cat in the background? And if right. there is, it better be super cool. It like better be moving <laughs> and while something else is still or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, but are, are they, are they taking high quality images? Are they posting? Well, are they cropping their images? Are they putting, are they, and, and if they're not, then what are we actually teaching them? Because, I think I, I feel kind of strongly about this, and, and I think it's true that we're all represented virtually. Like I'm, I'm, we're represented by our websites and what we put out there. Um, it's it's what comes up when people Google you that's important, mm-hmm. more so today than ever. And so, what this does is it starts to give them a digital presence. They they have a portfolio and they have a website by the time they're done. So last year we focused on Tumblr. This year we we went over and we experimented with them uploading their work all year long to something called Google Plus. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but yeah, VCU, yeah. okay, yeah, VCU moved uh, to 
underneath Google uh, a couple of years ago. So it's all of our emails are actually under Google. So even though I might be at vcu.edu, um, it's actually underneath the Google server, which means that then we use other things like Google Plus and Google Drive and Google Docs and, and, and Google Slides and all this other stuff and all these file sharing systems to move our files around very easily within our department and share oh, documents that's nice. and so forth. But the students can also upload images and upload files into shared documents and folders that we've shared with them so that stuff just gets moved right into our classroom folders. And then uh, they document their student work and their process regularly, like every class and, ev and in between every class and on the weekends. They're posting on Google Plus their process work and their final outcomes. Uh, so that in, by the end of the, the course, and as the assignments are categorized in Google+, Plus in a very uh, uh, neat way, they place all these posts and all, all these images inside the project, you know, link. And then you can, at the end of the semester, you can go through Google+, Plus and click on the student, and they also have a digital presence and kind of like a website right there, which is kind of a digital representation of their engagement and participation throughout the course of the semester. And then we're constantly hounding them, especially at the beginning of the semester, that they need to, we, we, we teach them a photography course. It's a workshop kind of thing. Uh, that usually doesn't help immediately. We have to do it again and work <laughs> in the class about what it looks like to, to take a good photo of a drawing or an object. We, we airplay our own cell phones onto the big screen in the room and show them examples uh, in the room while we're, our phone is live on the screen and like, is this a good picture? No. Why is this a good picture? Better. Yes. Why is this the best picture? Yes. Why? So that they're able to see it. And many of them don't know how to actually use their cell phones. The cell phones are good enough, plenty of good enough now to take images of their work if they knew how to use them properly and have the right kind of lighting. But many of them don't know how to focus lock and uh, adjust the exposure and to and, and some of them don't always want to take the time to go into the photo settings and just crop that image a little bit so you don't have that you know cat in the background and, <laughs> right. and 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 then post it and and then realize that what you post is a representation of you as a person as a student as an artist or designer and then at the end of the day if they do that very well then they have no work at all when they get to the end of the year and have to upload into the Tumblr or like what we did this year was upload into Behance, which is amazing. If you've not tried that, I mean, Behance now fuels Adobe portfolio. Oh, really? So you can just hit a button and it moves it over to uh, Adobe portfolio. And now Adobe portfolio turns all that Behance images into a website. And so... What? Yeah, and so this year we have a, a list of uh, links to all their websites that you know, I think next week or the week after, we pass them out to all the majors, and the majors uh, click on the links. When the student walks into the room, they click on their link, and their website comes up, and they look, at, they look through it together, and that's how they review the portfolio at the end of the year. The other thing that we were, we were doing that, that was great was something called Super Thursdays. Thursdays are Fridays here in this culture. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> Sundays, and Sundays are Mondays. Still, it takes me a little while to get used to that. <laughs> so, Thursday is the last day of the of the of the work week, 
And so since we have all of our classes on Sunday and Tuesday, on Thursdays, we have dedicated the day uh, to workshops and different things that we wanted to do. We realized that all of us were wasting our energy trying to teach them the same thing. So I think that's another way you can kind of clean the house within a department is like, talk to your, your colleagues and talk to your director and, 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 and find out what's most important um, for all the students to know. And then at that point, once you've kind of made a list of like 10 things or eight things, you don't want to pick any more than say 13 or 14 because each one of these things are done once a week. So you can pick like one a week during a semester. Then you run a little workshop. So since the students don't have any other classes on that day and we've dedicated days to have them only, which is another interesting, I think, thing to talk about in this way, the way we structure. And that is that we, we have our foundation students only to ourselves and we do not share them with LAS or, uh, you know, the English and the math or, or any other kind of. Oh, I see. Yeah. On the days we teach them, they only have studio. This was something that happened, I, I guess, probably seven or eight years ago. We decided that the students are so scattered in the way that they think and what they're doing and that the, you know, they're still trying to figure out how to do laundry or, or, or whatever, you know, right. they're still trying to figure out how to live the life. They don't know what to do in terms of, it's the first time they've had that kind of freedom to be out here on their own more so and at a place where, you know, culturally it's, a, it's acceptable to be around other people without having family around. And so they're, it's a lot. It's, it's new. It's, it's a lot to deal with. And, and it's the same for the students in America. You know, it's like this freedom hits you like with like, like a ton of bricks. And a lot of students are really scattered the first semester. So we decided that it would be best to only have them think about and focus, focus on studio stuff on the days we teach them. So Sunday and Tuesday, um, we have them and there's a, a gap between the classes, which the, of two and a half hours that they usually use to prepare, you know, or wrap up things for the afternoon class. Mm-hmm. And then on the other days, they have only LAS classes, English, math, art history. And then there's these Thursdays, which is the last day of the week and probably similar in the States as well, where there's maybe not a lot of Friday classes. The Super Thursdays are a part of this module system that we experimented with. And what's great is that we then took that list of things that we felt like all of us wanted the students to know, and we just focused on them. So one week we do like a, a photography uh, class, with, but using your phone, because we know that that's, what, that's all they're going to do anyway. No one's going to put their DSLR on a tripod when, and grab lights anymore. That time has gone. Um, <laughs> We realized that they needed to know a lot about um, developing this kind of digital portfolio, you know, um, Behance or Tumblr, or in, and they needed to know how to move things over to Adobe um, Portfolio. We, we do field trips uh, on those days from time to time, and we teach them, you know, about how to, how to manage their time and, and uh, how to be organized and and just little workshops. And we don't usually keep them long because we know they'll stop listening after a certain amount of time. But we'll, from time to time, we'll order some pizza and we'll do something like that for the, for the bigger events. But usually it's just kind of like a meeting point. Like, hey, let's meet up and talk for an hour about whatever that is. And now what you've realized is that things that you constantly feel like you're yelling to them about, like I was mentioning earlier, I'm always yelling or harping at them about 
you know, the, the, the shadow of their hand holding the phone and the drawing. Well, if you do that workshop and then if you do that workshop and then eventually uh, what happens is they stop doing it more, as often. And then you mention it a couple more times in class and it's gone. And, but it's gone for everybody who teaches in the department, not just you. And it's really, really, really beneficial. So then each week you would focus on a topic or a theme that then would impact sort of everyone that was in foundations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, faculty complain, you know, in the office, man, they just don't understand composition or they just don't get the citing techniques. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not understanding conceptual development. They just can't come up with ideas. They don't know how to develop ideas. They don't know what it means to uh, think through an idea. My students can't come up with questions on their own. My students mm-hmm. tend to always just do what I tell them to do. That's all they want to do is what I tell them to do. You know, these are the constant complaints that we that we all hear, right? Right, right. Coming out of, coming out of each other's mouths. Someone should start writing them down and make them in, and turn them into a positive and, and start offering you know, little mini workshops on these, on these things that impact everyone so that the classroom can move on, you know, you can, you can accomplish more then. You mentioned early on in our conversation that, you know, you really valued teaching as research, you know, so really thinking about that from, from all angles. And, you know, I'm curious, like in the foundations model that you guys have there is everyone, teaching foundations every semester? Like, do you feel like that helps in terms of thinking about curriculum and, and those kinds of things? Yeah, um, definitely. I think because we don't have, you know, teaching uh, responsibilities in, in, in any of the other majors or areas in that mm-hmm. we do repetitively teach the same class over and over again, we kind of can allow ourselves to evolve and find new ways to, to, to approach the, the curriculum and, and while sort of being innovative and researching at the same time. So I'll give you a little bit of an example of, of some things that have happened that I consider teaching as research. Uh, the first example would be a colleague of mine who runs a project that, that has the students going out and gathering a lot of materials whether it be visual, graphic materials, or whether it be images of objects or, or, or anything. And then those students bring all those things back and they start making uh, designs. They start making, say, wallpaper or, let's say, wrapping paper designs. My colleague that I'm speaking about did a, did a wrapping paper project based off all of these kind of things that the students went out and found visually around Qatar. But then, you know, that colleague of mine might take that research that the students conducted in and remix it again and turn it into their own work. Or that project might be a module or kind of thing that all adds up and becomes a part of a larger collaborative thing that, that he takes part in as well. So next thing you know, you have all these wallpapers or all these wrapping papers or say these printed scarves or these posters that are a collaboration and a culmination of everyone's work together. So the teaching was, was sort of 
informing the research and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Or, or my director I speak about uh, earlier, uh, he, he had a moving postcards project where he had the students all go out and take these little time lapses of these little special moments, these little vignettes around Qatar. Um, it could be uh, a car pulling into the gas station, or it could have been a, a man getting a shave, or a man making a pair of shoes, or a falcon on the falcon stand at the falcon souks. And then all these videos come together, and you know he makes two or three as well, and he puts it into a, a, a big project and builds a big table, and you scan your card, and all the videos play, and it's a really, really great thing. So you're combining what your research is along and what your interests are mm-hmm. directly into the classroom and asking the students to become a part of that with you. So another example is a current project of mine entitled By the Light of the Moon, but started just as something I called night scene project in my class. I just asked my students to go out and find nighttime storefronts and in places that kind of had a certain kind of glow or emotion or mood to them that had a had interesting light you know spilling out of them at night and come back and we're going to draw those on uh, with colored pencil on black paper to try to get that same kind of luminosity of color on black paper with colored pencil then i really like the results i think it's interesting it's something that i could also take and, and move forward and, and, and push forward and advance it into something else then i do a couple myself and then the way i do them is a little bit different than the way i do them and then i mix them also digitally and then i write up a grant and then the grant gets accepted and then i apply for an exhibition of my work and then i also put the work of the students that i did the previous semester or the year before along with my work and we all have an exhibition together and it's all one kind of looping circle of research. And what's great is that then you take the students through the process of, of research and what it means to kind of develop the idea and what it looks like if you behave in, in a certain way and treat a certain project a certain way and you go step one, step two, step three, step four, and you end up with this. I think the students need a lot of help understanding what that process looks like and they don't and, and they don't necessarily get it. They're told what to draw. They're told what to design too often, I think. And if it's just, I always use a still, I think, because I think we all still do them. I just did one. I try to do them a little bit in a different, in a different way now. But if, if they're just put something in front of them and draw that, we all know that there are so many benefits to them looking and observing uh, and, and recording from observation. There's something special about the space between them and that thing and their ability to observe it and record it accurately and to be able to utilize sighting techniques like angling, measuring, and proportion and so forth and understanding perspective and chiaroscuro and the properties of light and shadow and blah, blah, blah. We, we know that all those things are important. But if they're just told to do that and then they end up with this thing and it's super polished and it goes up on the wall, then they get it into the drawing show and then they win third prize, they think they're an artist. And I think when you approach it in, in, the, in the way that we have and that I have done more recently, then you're, 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 you're walking them through your own thinking and making process and teaching them more about what they're at in university to become than the other way around. 
I cannot agree with you more. And I think it's so important in, in terms of just to kind of pull this together, you know, how you talked about Google Plus and Tumblr and just sort of really encouraging students to examine their own process, which is, is sort of a, a way of getting them to really think about the research and the, and the way that that looks and how for so long the drawing is going to look awful, you know, it's going to look really stupid and, um, and then it'll look really polished and nice. And that, and that that's sort of tied in with their grading and their assessment in terms of process, um, mm-hmm. I think is super important because it sort of takes away this like praising of the pretty thing. And it talks about that you can actually end up with an awful thing, but maybe you learned a lot in, in that awful thing that's going to help you make something really great later. Yeah, process is huge. So on on one hand, yes, walking them through the process teaches them a great deal about it. And then taking something ordained or or something that they don't see a lot of value in and and, and documenting it in a way and then presenting it in a way that becomes a little bit more precious or unique Mm -hmm. teaches them a lot as well. I'm I'm reminded of of a colleague's... uh, project he just ran uh, with another professor in our department, they ran this crazy, cool sculpture project where the students just went and gathered as much stuff as they could. And um, they started combining objects and finding weird ways to put the objects together. But it was just like tennis rackets and tires and ropes <laughs> and crock pots and like, like all kinds of just pots and pans and forks and knives. But then they started putting it together, and they didn't zip ties and ropes and strings and all this. And then they painted every square inch of every one of those sculptures white. And then they didn't look too good. It was sort of like not so well. Great, some of them were so well put together, and you know, they you could see their visual flaws, and it's just you know. But then they documented them very professionally. Um, a whole photo studio was set up with backdrops of some paper and the lights. And um, they were each one put up on the paper. Some of them were five, six feet tall. And then they were documented. And then they were um, converted, I think, up slightly to black and white as well. And then they were framed in Ikea frames and then put on the wall in a nice, in a nice line. And it looked amazing because the value of, I think, taking the projects to the next level is something that they don't often think about doing. And I think that's the other really strong point with the the way I've approached things and, and I think learned from other faculty in my department especially is that projects don't have to end where we're used to having them end. You know, uh, a good example of that is a project that started as a drawing that then uh, Surface Studio then made a titles for, and then they hand-drew the titles on Mylar, and then they scanned those Mylar hand-drawn titles, and then they scanned my drawings, and then they overlaid the titles on top of the drawings, and then they printed them out, and then I thought it was done, and then my <laughs> colleague thought, no, no, it's not done. We, what do you mean? And I'm like, what? And he says, well, we got to print out the posters, and now we got to take the posters up to the photo room. I'm like, what are we going to do? Like put them all on the floor. And he, and he had the idea to have each one of the students holding their poster of their object. That was meaningful of the title of the over the top, you know? Oh, right. Right. 
conceptual kind of framework between the person, the object that was meaningful to them and the title they chose. And you have, you're looking at all three and it was really great. And then that was present, that was, that was exhibited here in Qatar. That was exhibited in other countries. And, you know, we strive to take our student work and present it as almost our own sometimes out into the world and disseminate it into exhibitions. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't, we're not allowing our, our work to end up just in the hallways. That's the, it, that's the first place it, it goes, but we make it into books. I think I handed out some of these books at the, at the conference I saw. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We make it into books and, and, and my colleague who teaches surface is really amazing at sort of having this vision of, of, of where some of these products can go in terms of, of their publication and how they can be presented in posters. I was just going to say that process, too, uh, is important for the students to document that process and understand the process as something that is just as meaningful to them than the final, than the final outcome. Uh, we ask them to document their process a lot. They end up, you know, as soon as somebody does a time lapse or makes a GIF of their drawing forming or, or of them working on their desk and the objects and the pencils moving all around and all that, that, that becomes kind of like the trend. And um, it's really great when students do that well because they end up with this documentation of, the, of how they got to the point they got to and in their final outcome. And that's something that even, the, even the, um, the majors that are now reviewing their portfolios at the end of the year, they, they said, look, it's, it gets tiring seeing all these polished things at the end. And, every, and they, also, they all end up looking the same. Once you've seen one charcoal still life, you've seen them all. And what they care more about is the story of, of what the students learned um, along the way, what their struggles were, and where they failed, and what they learned from that, and then the process. You know, they want to see how they got to where they got to uh, in the final outcome that they're presenting. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think they're they're all so connected. And, and I think, you know, the sooner that we can talk to them about that and sort of unpack that and, and really highlight that, you know, that they're not doing these things on an island, you know, that what they're drawing can inform what they're building or what they're painting, um, that, that those things are actually very connected. True, true. How, how did you get involved in fate? Because it seems like ever since I've been going to the fate conference you've you've been there so <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a cool story um <laughs> mary stewart um right <laughs> mary stewart 2002 i believe it was i was a grad student in uh, northern illinois university she had some grad students over to her house for dinner or a potluck one night and there were like six of us she walked around in a circle and put twenty dollars on the table in front of each one of us. And we were wondering what was going on. We, we had no idea. It was so weird. Mm -hmm. And uh, She says, this is for each one of you guys to join fate. Fate is an amazing organization with filled with a bunch of passionate people that do what you want to do. And that's the network you need to be within. And this is my gift to you. Mm, wow, that's so powerful. Yeah, and since that moment, um, it was my goal to to attend every one, and I did 
from that point forward all the way until last year was my first one I missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kansas, I believe. Kansas City, right, right. Yeah, um, fate's been amazing. I, I, I don't think that um, there has been any other single beneficial thing in my professional career to me than fate. Um, the people I got to meet, the, the, the network that I was able to develop, the opportunities that came to me in fate on, on the board of being serving as a regional coordinator and vice president for uh, development and so forth, it was all an amazing experience. And I would, I would do it all over again if I had the chance. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's, that's incredible. And, you know, I think I might have mentioned this to you when I saw you in Ohio, I guess a year ago. Mary was the very first episode that we did for this podcast, and and she sort of started the tr- tradition of after after we had our our conversation and recorded it, she um, sent me an email and just said, you know, here here's some names of some folks that I think would would really be great, and she just sent them along to me, and and so then I've I've sort of passed that along to everybody that that I speak with and just sort of, okay, if you have, if you want to sort of pay it forward, if you have anyone that, that you think would be good in terms of just expanding this sort of conversation. And so you were one of the people she mentioned, you know, a, a while right. ago. So it's, it's, it's amazing how that kind of all, all works out. Yeah. I mean, fate, fate, the, what I love about fate is there's so everyone's there's everyone who is there is passionate about what you do and what you're doing and what you know and there's so many cool presentations there Mm -hmm. and so much you can take away from it and that's where I came up originally with that idea of like you know teaching is research I'm not a famous artist and I'm never going to be like I think this is another reality some some people need need to face you know at some point for me I sort of felt that way from the beginning. I mean, I'm not in New York. I'm not having, you know, four solo shows a year and I'm not in MoMA or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not in Gagosian gallery. And, and so I felt like the thing that could be the most powerful experience for me is sharing what I do know with mm-hmm. my students, trying to make my students lives as best as possible it, to impact them in a way uh, through what I know and what I can share that would change their life because knowing Mary Stewart and, and, and knowing how much she impacted me in my career through this very similar type of, of passion uh, and, and sharing, then it, I only can give that back, you know, uh, and, and to, to the other people and the students that are around me. It's what drives me the idea that, you know, I'm sharing something and making an impact on other students and other people. This has been so much fun. I'm so glad it's it's finally worked out with our schedules to to make this happen. And I appreciate you staying, I guess, up late or getting up early or whatever's happening in, in your part of the world. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jesse. I, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. 
If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.